Blog Talk Radio. Hello? When you turned it up, but still needs to be re-downloaded, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yesterday, Sir Ian Holm died, and it honestly kind of bugged me that all they put was Sir Ian Holm, star of Lord of the Rings. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. This guy was a big centerpiece of science fiction fantasy in the 80s. And a great dramatic actor to boot. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, it bothered me too, Stephen. It bothered me too. Everything for the millennials. No offense, millennials. Everything for the millennials. <laughs> well, they're the one who's writing the big press right now. All of us old right. parts have been kicked out because people don't want to listen to old folks talk. That's right. That's why we make our own lives. Yep. But still, when did he start calling the 60s or 70s? He started. He started uh, uh, basically in theater in the '60s, and then in the '70s, um, he did uh, uh, started in film. And then, of course, uh, the first real notice that we got here over in the states was uh, was Alien. Yeah. You don't think we saw him before Alien? I well, let me put it this way: I certainly do think a lot of us did, but but uh, he was much more uh, prevalent in in uh, English theater and English films. So I got to see him in things like Young Winston and, and things like that in the seventies when when we we had uh, early HBO. But those uh, films, as right. far as I know, didn't get get a lot of uh, coverage uh, here. You know, with with a large release. Well, the ones that got a large release was a Midsummer's Night's Dream, uh, Old La Lovely War, Nicholas and Alexandra, Mary Queen's of Scots, Young Winston, Robin and Marion. Of course, he played King John. Right. Yeah. 
I've seen it. Have you seen it, Vicky? I know Carl. Yes, has. I have. I That's have. one of the most unique and sweetest versions of the Robin Hood and the Maid Mary. It's actually a sequel to the main story, wouldn't you guys say? Oh, absolutely. They're much older at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you can find it, I'd recommend it. Well, it's one of, one of Richard Lester's actually better films. It's it, it's uh, it's a lovely little film. It really is. Uh, well, in um, 1972, he was in a TV series called The Man from Haven, and then he was also in the TV series that I know we got over here, The Frighteners. Frighteners. I can't even say it. <laughs> Yeah. In 72. And then there was a lot of TV he did, 73. Mm-hmm. And Orson Welles' Great Mysteries, 74. Yeah. Masquerade, Napoleon and Love. I mean, there's a lot of TV he did. BBC Play of the Month. I remember watching BBC Play of the Month because it was on PBS. Mm-hmm. And PBS was just a, a, you know, a baby, an infant back then. Yeah. And what's ironic is in 1975, the BBC did a radio adaption of Lord of the Rings. And it made Ian Holm the only person to ever play Frodo and Bilbo back Right. So that's a pretty cool thing. Absolutely. Now, and if I can, I want to just... Okay, go I, ahead. I'd like to backtrack just a second, okay? Go ahead. Um, because Ian Holm uh, was in Harold Pinter's Homecoming on stage uh, in 1972. Right. And AFI, which was the American Film Institute, had a series that they put in the film. And his first starring role in a film was a filmed adaptation of that play, The Homecoming, in 1974 right, 19, or 1973. No, three. Yeah, yeah. And I and, saw that on uh, HBO, and, and uh, it was directed by Peter Hall. Uh, and it was uh, him and Cyril Cusack, uh, and Vivian Merchant, a uh, really fine cast, uh, and very, very, very good, um, uh, very good production. And he was actually up for a BAFTA award for that also. Yeah. So I, I just and wanted to make sure. And next month on July on Steve's video store, we're going to be doing a show on the AFI series and how they really botched what could have been if they would have got it right, mm-hmm. really great yeah. series. Yeah, it is. But it is. It, it's yeah. But TV wise, the biggest thing that he was in in the seventies would probably be Franco Zeffirelli's uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Right, and, and he was there in that, and uh, he was basically only in in part two of that. Yeah, uh, but very much so. Still, that was one of the first big events 
miniseries after Roots. And he also, don't forget Holocaust, too. He was uh, Heinrich Himmler in Holocaust. Yeah, that one's a good one, too, that's already kind of hard to find nowadays. Yeah. Right. I saw that and one. Guy, and, Carl, do you remember whose first really big role was in Holocaust? Well, that was Michael Moriarty, right? No, James Woods. Oh, James Woods. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. Shout at the Devil and March or Die are good, but they're very odd little movies. For very big to say movies. the least. Yeah, Shout of the Devil is a very odd movie, even if you get the long two-hour and 30-minute version of it. But it's fun because it's got Lee Marvin as a drunk, of course, and uh, Roger Moore before he was James Bond. Or is it after? Uh, No, it's after. That's after he was Bond. Yeah. And, then, and March or Die, I don't know many people that's actually seen it. Carl impressed me, because I don't know any people that's seen it. It's, one of, it's a bizarre uh, American Foreign Legion movies. With, with Gene Hackman. Um, it's just a, it, it, it's not a good movie, but it's odd. And and uh, I think one of the, the strangest things about it is, Terrence Hill is the second lead in it. So you got Gene oh, Hackman yeah, and Terrence yeah. Hill. And Catherine Deneuve and Max von Sydow and Ian Holm and Jack O'Halloran. Marcel Bazzuppi. Uh, it's a very, very much an international cast on it. This is one of the three movies where they tried to bring Terrence Hill over to the United States. There was uh, March or Die, Super Fuzz, Oh God, sorry, no! Carl. Oh Mr. God, Mr. Billions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, no. Never mind. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah, right now we're at 1979. He was in uh, a little science fiction horror film that a guy who had really only directed one film before that about Russian duelists. Right. So when he got a job to direct a sci-fi movie, we didn't know what the hell to think, and we didn't even know who the hell is. We of course we knew who Yasmin Koto was and uh, right, Harry Dean Stanton, but who the hell was Sigourney Weaver? Who the hell was Tom Skerritt? I knew Tom Skerritt. Yeah, and when Lucas Clift was like, "Why is Ian Holmes so cold?" And we'll let Vicky take it from here. Oh, yeah, this is well, yours. <laughs> you know, um, I think he was perfectly cast for one thing, because um, back then, the late 70s, you know, science was just starting to get a grip on people's imaginations. And um, um, so... All scientists, they were they were categorized as cold, as logically thinking human beings that don't uh, necessarily take in consideration any type of feelings 
And so he played it exactly perfectly to that stereotype. So you don't really, and that's why it's so brilliant that he ends up being an android because he plays it so brilliantly using that, that science stereotype from back then that, um, you know, that kind of aloofness, you know, as he's picking around what looks like a big hand on um, John Hurt's face, who was also a famous actor, too, by that time. Um, uh, you know, everyone's going, ooh, ah, and their faces are full of emotion. And his is not. He's got curiosity in his eyes, but he's very unemotional. But no one questions that early in the movie because that was the stereotype. And it worked out perfect. This is when Ian Holm became, to everyone, a great actor. Yeah. And plus, how are you supposed to know Ian Holm acting so cold when you're noticing, uh, what's her name, uh, screaming fuck about a million times, and Yafet Kodo, who is known yes. as a badass, standing there scared off his ass with a little tiny tray in his hand. He's just saying, why don't they freeze him? Why don't they freeze him? Why don't they freeze him? Which was the right thing to do. And they don't, of course. That's how you knew uh, that this movie was going to turn into a horror movie. No more science fiction. Bunch of horror coming. <laughs> well, the, the other Hello, thing, too, is... Well, let me see this real quick, Carl. When you watch it a second time... You can't tell that he's playing it as an android. Right. No. There's no cheats. No, right. not at all. Not because, at all. Okay, um, the scene, the scene that uh, I've watched it, I, I can't even tell you how many times. The scene where he defies Ripley and he lets them into the um, the spaceship, you know, and contaminates the spaceship. And he's supposed to be the scientist, and he kind of does the wrong thing right there. He walks back and forth. He, he acts like he's thinking about it, like, wow, what am I really doing? And then he does it. But all along he was going to do it anyway. He faked it so well nobody could tell. It's just brilliant mm -hmm. acting. Brilliant acting. You know, he, the thing about, about Ian Home in that particular role, which I always look at, is, is where, of course, he's, he's killed and they bring him back. And the makeup and, and, and uh, the fluid and all of that. <laughs> and, of course, he's, and, of course, he's acting through a hole and, 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 and thing and so on and so forth. But man, that particular scene is just—it's it, just chilling. It's creepy. You know, when when he when he uh, you know finally tells them that they were all expendable, and and that was the that was the um, Wayland Utani's uh, uh, um, message to him. And and what's the final line he says? Uh, something like. Um, I don't think your chances are very good or something like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead and try, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's like, oh, yikes. Yeah. And you know what else he does during that scene? What? He apologizes for it. Yes. I'm sorry, but I was yes, just following orders. Uh huh. Right. Right. But he apologized. It's kind of an empty apology because he sees how, because this is before, before, you know, the next android is made where he's meant to have empathy. So he doesn't really have that much empathy. He has enough to pass as a human being. But, you know, I always saw that as the apology was just kind of hollow, maybe even a little sarcastic. Mm-hmm. I just took it like, you know, hey, nothing personal. I'm just doing what I had to do. Right, right. That's what he does. He's just like, and he tell, and he know. wishes them luck too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Huh. Yeah. Good luck. Don't like I your chances, but it. good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he doesn't even say it like, um, I don't like your chances. He flat out tells them, it's the perfect killing machine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're not going to make it. (laughs) Yeah, that's, um, I think that Ash is one of his very best roles. Even though I love him as Polonius in um, Hamlet, um, uh, Mel Gibson's Hamlet. Uh, and I love him in Fifth Element and everything, but I think that Ash shows all the different levels that he could could bring out in character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And next is one of Carl's favorite movies because it's Jewish okay. and religious, and that's Chariots of Fire. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this film. However, I do have to say, you know, this is the film that Ian Holm uh, got an Academy Award nomination for, okay? And and, and, and as uh, right. Sam uh, Musabini, uh, who is the uh, coach. Um, and he's very good in it. Uh, you know, the, the casting's good. It's It's not my cup of tea. But you can't argue about how good the film is. And plus also one other little little bit. Uh, one of my favorite uh, actors is in this, uh, which is Alice Kriege is in this. She has a small role. You'll know her as right. the board queen. Right. Okay, but she also one of my favorite directors is in this movie. Hold on, hold on. One of my favorite directors is in this movie. Lindsay Anderson has a small role too. So... I don't have a problem with the movie. It's not my cup of tea, but it's it's very well done. My problem is, like I said, there's no passion in the movie. There's no passion in the running. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think I, we're supposed so... to believe at the end of him giving up. Rant running for his religion is one of the most supreme sacrifices that he's ever made, but we never do see any of that passion. He be it for his religion or for running. Yeah, and I happen to agree with you on that. And I and I yeah. think a lot of that is, is, is the director's fault. 
Hugh Hudson is one of these plotting directors. And, well, and look just at the same fun that we make fun of all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, let's not forget that Hugh Hudson did Greystoke, too. And, of course, Ian was in that also. Oh, uh, I love Greystoke. I yeah, really we'll Grey love Greystoke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got Return of the Soldier, Inside the Third Reich. He played Gobbles. Man, they used him a lot for just Nazis, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he did a lot of Nazi work. <laughs> he he that yeah. And I loved Greystoke. I mean, so did when I. I watched it as a kid, I'm like, this is boring. But then when I actually read the books, I'm like, Jesus Christ, yep. this is spot on okay, to the book. Okay. Guys, it, yes. when you're done, when you're done, we have to go backwards. So finish up. Why? Time bandits. Mm, let's see. Oh it's yeah, okay, on, that was I'm here. Oh yeah, I missed that. We'll go back. We'll do time bandits first. My bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. time well, bandits. Which because off. of uh, what's that movie that Vicky said earlier? The Loves of Napoleon. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, Terry Gilliam cast in Holmes and Time Bandit. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and to me, that he, I saw a clip of that today. I was doing some work and seeing some of the scenes of the films that he was in. And he's hysterical. He is so funny. And, and, and just... just you know, playing with the whole hype thing and so on and so forth. And and you'd be surprised at how good a comedy he was. And if you don't believe me, you need to watch the, watch him as, as uh, Napoleon. And, of course, that's another film with Sean Connery as Robin Hood. You've got David Warner in it. You've got, you know, just a wonderful cast. But this was the first of, I think, three films he did uh, with Gillen. And he had a, right. a very much good relationship with him. But wonderful. And what's funny is if you look at the English trailer for Time Bandits, they sell it as an adult science fiction black comedy. Right. Well, if you look at the U.S. trailer for it, they sell it as this little kid on a fantastical adventure. Yeah. And Probably one of the most depressing part. endings of all time, but that's beside the point. It's dark all the way through it. Yeah, it's it is. dark all the way through it. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All it's right. Just so not we're at Greystoke. Yeah. Greystoke I mean, opened on my birthday. It was one of the best birthday presents I ever got from um, Hollywood. Um, I thought Greystoke was was lush and lavish and not overly so. And Ian Holm played such... I love the whole razor part. (laughs) Razor, razor. Oh, anyway. I just thought the film was done well. Because it really kept to its source material, and all the characters kept to the source material. Yeah. 
unlike most, mm-hmm. I thought Christoph Lambert played a great Tarzan. Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. The scene where he seduces uh, what, uh, Jane by using the animal noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that movie, the way, I don't know, people didn't get it. It did really well the first week, and then it fell off sharply after the next couple of weeks. And uh, so I think it had two weekends of good box office, and then it dropped. And there was a lot of controversy over, uh, I can't even remember her name. I don't have it in front of me. The one who played Jane. Um, Yeah, she became a big actress in the 90s. Right, but they dubbed her voice in the movie because she couldn't do, she's an American, and she couldn't do the type of British voice. She had the look. She just couldn't speak. Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell. Yeah, there you go. She's Texas as hell. (laughs) Yes, exactly, and so they dubbed her voice. And so there was a big problem with that. Then they put out, later when they put the movie out, they, um, they, there were two versions out for the longest time, one with her, her voice and one with um, the dubbed-in British voice. So that, that movie was unfairly messed with by execs. So... I think if you if you watch the movie with her and her regular voice, it's just uh, it runs so much smoother and it's not kind of funny with the dub voice and it's just a really nice Tarzan movie. Yeah. Unlike the last Tarzan movie, that was awful. Uh, <laughs> with the train I can and everything. That movie easily. You can. Yeah. Both okay. Eric's Tarzan the Ape Man. <laughs> okay. I win. Right. <laughs> you win. <laughs> I liked The Legend of Tarzan. It was a great little B movie. That, but that's all it was. Yeah, that's all it was. Greystoke tried to make it. You know, it tried to make it what Alien was. And I'm not yeah, saying well, it didn't try to make it science fiction. It it tried to elevate it into. Not cheese. Well, yeah. well, you know the thing is, it was based on on uh, some of the actual writings of Burroughs, and and they tried uh, instead of elevate. I I think it's more a more expansive palette. It, it's a bigger film than just Tarzan and the Jungle Gun. Yeah. You know, I mean, they bring <laughs> the whole English background into it, and and, yeah. and how it all came together. And it gives you a much more clearer picture and a larger picture. And that and I, defy, I think, worked for it. I defy anyone to watch that scene where his father dies on in the square on the London street and say you don't get choked up. Except you, Carl. You might not. But anyone else. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, he likes when monkeys get killed in movies. <laughs> But, Carl, to clarify what you said, the director said that Greystoke was supposed to be a cross between Edgar Rice Burroughs and Truffaut's Les Fonds Savage. Right, the wild child. 
Yeah. Right. Right. And I think for the most part, they, they hit the mark. I mean, when Tarzan gets to London and he, he looks kind of like he lives there, once he sees that house, and it's like a big tree house to him. He just goes wild, you know. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not house, mansion. <laughs> so that, yeah. I like that movie, and I think he's a, Ian Holm was great in the in the film. Oh God, yeah. perfect. And yeah. next is Ian Holmes in another version of the Browning version. How many times have they adapted that, Carl? Well, okay, what movie are you talking about? The Browning version. Okay, no, you missed one. You're missing all sorts of them here. Tyranny, I really? I'm going to talk about a fucking horror clip movie. How no, about Brazil? Brazil? That's not on here yet. That's 1985. I haven't missed it. That's where we are. The Browning version. No, is there's the Browning version. Oh, Tyranny, I was in 1984, okay. Dream Child. Right, right, right. right. But I Brazil see Brazil comes before that. I'm I'm looking at IMDb. No. So. Green Child yeah. in 1984. I'm going by the Wikipedia right here, and this guy's under yeah, 1984. Yeah, he's going. Oh, okay, that's yeah. where. Okay, yeah. never mind. Just just so we hit Brazil and Laughter House. We need to hit both those. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, don't worry. Don't. Don't. Or as we say down south, don't get your panties in the bunch, Arizona. We'll get the <laughs> Okay, I'll get about of a bunch. Here, let me adjust them. Ah, that's better. Thank you. <laughs> but as I said, how many versions of that story, the Browning version, have there been? I know they've been, I know they've been a few over in England. <coughs> there's been several. There's yeah. been several. I I can't count, but there's been at least a half dozen. But there's got to be more than that. I think. One is a shocker. A Jim Henson movie that Carl hasn't seen. I passed what? out. Yeah, Dream Child. Yeah, I don't. Hmm. No, I have not seen Dream Child. I have not. And I hear oh, I hear that it's wonderful. Uh, yeah. A friend of mine sent me a clip of it. It looks great, but I have never seen it. And of course, Ian Holm is Lewis Carroll, which uh, and and then Reverend Dodson. Uh, um, I mean, it looks wonderful. I just have never seen it. <laughs> it's creepy as hell, too. You've seen it, haven't you, Vicky? Yes, once, but I've seen it. And yes, it is. It's really, really creepy. I don't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the puppets look like the illustrations that were used in the Lewis Carroll book. Imagine those in real, imagine those in 3D life, like Carl. <laughs> well, I don't like crazy dolls. So this movie just kind of fits in that category, which kind of just creeped me out. Yeah, it's a well, unique well, film. Not, I can understand why it didn't do good at the box office. <laughs> well, it was never it was never released in the U.S. Number one, uh, and it yes, is it a was. Dennis Potter. Well, well let me put it in on HBO. Yeah. It's been on HBO, but I don't think it ever got a real release here in the states. Uh, that's uh, I would, I'm going by some information a friend of mine gave me, uh, who I trust very much, got my name James Dye. But um, you know, this is Dennis Potter too, and Dennis Potter is 
a very, very unique writer. um, But, yeah, this is one I definitely have to see. It premiered on uh, great – what was the one that showed all the Dennis Potters over here, the PBS show? Great, uh, great performances. Yeah, great That's performances. It, yeah. mm-hmm. Okay. Now we're on Weatherby. Is that one of the ones you wanted? No, no, no. But uh, I, I, I actually will say something about Weatherby. Uh, this is not an AFI, but, but in many ways it is uh, because it's David Hare who is a. Uh, What's very, AFI? Very I'm stupid. AFI is American Film Institute. American Film Institute. That, that was okay. the one that got all the plays and made them into films. Well, this is a, a, an original play by David Hare that he uh, uh, then was able to film, and he directed it himself and adapted it himself. Uh, and it's basically uh, a death of a young man and, and, and the suburb of Weatherly releases a long passions between uh, a wife and, and her younger uh, uh, lover. And of course, this is a film with Vanessa Redgrave and Judy Dench and Tom Wilkinson and Ian Holmes. So you can imagine the quality of acting. Um, I, do, I have not seen the film, but I do know the oh. play. I have okay. seen it. Uh, and and uh, I would suspect that Ian Holm was absolutely fabulous as Stanley because that's that's the main role in it. He's just cool, you know. He's perfect fit for it. So you've seen it. What what do you remember of it, Dick? I just remember that. Um, actually, I remember the. Uh, different characters always saying Weatherby. Weatherby, <laughs> I remember that really well. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's it's an actors like like you named all the actors in it, right? It's one right. of those actors type the the kind of films that they love because there's a lot of exposition, not a lot of um, action. You know, no car chases or explosions or anything. Yeah, it's it, it very much a, a single set. Piece. Yeah, uh, it's character it, it, driven, and that's yeah, that's driven. what what um, like you have Ian Holm and Judy Dench, and they're having a relationship, and you have um, you know a lot of different things going on in you know a lot of different emotions going on. I don't mean things, I mean emotions going on. So yeah, it was it's really good because they're playing off of each other. With a really good script, well, good words to read, and so it's worth your watching if you run across mm-hmm. it or if you want to seek it out. I'm sure Amazon probably has it for a price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I can mention one very, very quick one, which which I would put in, if you ever run across it, you need to see it. And I did get a chance to see this. I saw it under the, the uh, title of Laughing House. It's, and, and another title that's under is Singleton's Pluck. And basically, it's Ian Holm as a 
farmer who raises geese who uh, uh, basically uh, everything goes wrong. So he has to take all his geese a hundred miles to to the uh, to the uh, uh, market so he can sell them. And so it's him doing the whole thing with geese all through the English countryside, and it's a hoot. What, what's and the again, name of that? It's called Singleton's Pluck or Laughing House. Oh, okay. Okay. And next, for but up then to we the movie go, that's next, great, go ahead, Sid Scheinberg tried to save from a crappy director who wouldn't know his hole from an ass in the ground. But the stupid U.S. reviewers and the stupid fans <laughs> took what could have been the big summer feel-good hit of 1984 and ruined it. So it didn't do any money at the box office. It didn't do crap on video, and no one barely remembers it but Carl nowadays. <laughs> Is that about right, Carl? And you're so full of shit, it's not even funny. Yep. We're we're talking about a very, very special film by Terry Gillum, and that would be Brazil. And Ian Holm plays uh, Mr. Kurtzman, which is uh, Jonathan Price's boss at the ministry. And basically, he plays Kurtzman as a, a sort of like a, a, a know-nothing boss, that, that he gets uh, Jonathan Price to do all his dirty work. And and uh, he's wonderful. He's wonderful playing the dweeb, and and, and this sort of like uh, milk toast. And uh, he's he's wonderful. And the whole thing with Sid Scheinberg and what what uh, Stephen was referencing. Justin Price. Oh yeah, how can you not love Justin Price? I mean seriously. Um, oh, I can tell but, you many ways how you can not love him, especially if you watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Oh. But but uh, Brazil Brazil basically was uh, uh, Sid Scheinberg was uh, uh, head of Universal and basically hated the movie and wanted to recut it and so Terry Gellum was able to to steal a, uh, an uncut version his cut that had already been released in Europe got it to the LA uh, film critics and uh, surreptitiously. And uh, screened it for him, and it became the best film of the year by them. And then suddenly, Scheinberg had to release it the way that that uh, 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 Terry Gillum wanted to. And this is the second, I think, of three films that uh, uh, Ian did with with uh, Gillum. Maybe it's only two, but yeah. uh, I think it's to me, I will always remember him. There's a shot of him. And this whole shot of people working, and he goes back into his office, and they stop, stop working, and they're looking at movies. And he comes out, and then suddenly they're working again. And it's that whole type of uh, joke that goes on. And he's wonderful. Uh, what did you guys think of him in, in Brazil? Because I know you both have seen the film. Well, I love Oh, he was great. One little part, Carl. And this really killed the studios, too. Uh, Roger Ebert was over in vacation in England. And they asked him for this film festival there to come talk about this movie. 
and he arrived there about two to three hours early. And the only thing that was planned at the time for him to kill time was Brazil. Okay. And so when the movie finally came, when he finally got to see the approved version, you know, the Seinberg cut, he wrote a review basically saying, where the hell is the movie that I watched over in England? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's one of the few times that an artist won against the studio. And there are actually books about it. And I mean books. I'm talking 400, 500 page books about the whole fight. And if you get the uh, three uh, DVD Blu-ray from Criterion, have all three cuts, and and they also have a documentary on the whole thing. Uh, so it's quite an interesting story. But Ian Holm definitely had a part in that, and he was wonderful. Ricky? I just... Brazil's not one of my favorite movies, and so... Um, Ian Holm is good in the film, of course. It's more than he's more than good, and uh, but that's just a film I didn't like very much, and it's personal. So I'm sure that everyone has their own opinions. So go watch the film and see what you think. And uh, if you're an Ian Holm fan, you'll probably like it. How's that? Okay, that'll work. And plus, 1984, which came out a little bit before, came out, let's see, came out the year before, was a better film than Brazil. Fight me. (laughs) Hey, listen, 1984 was a damn good film. You know, the working title for for, 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 um, this was 1984 and a half. So, yeah. Let's see. Okay, moving on. Is Dance with a Stranger, which is about the last woman ever hung for murder over in England, and it's because of her case that they got rid of uh, hanging as capital murder punishment over in England. Right. And it's a great little true crime movie if you haven't seen it. I'm a true crime nut. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's good. It's by Knight Newell, so I'm surprised that uh, Carl hasn't seen it. It stars Miranda Richardson and Rupert Everett. Yeah, I have not seen this. This is one of the ones that that went under the radar for me. I've heard about it. But at that point, I, I didn't have much money in New York, so I didn't get a chance to see everything I wanted to see. Yeah. So, and, so where do we go from uh, here? Ian has a small role in it. He's good, but he plays a very small role in it. That's okay, because even the small roles, um, that he has, like um, like in Kafka that's coming up. Even the smaller smaller roles, he makes such an impression. He does such a great job that the movie is worth seeing just because of him. Yeah. Well, it's not the way with all character actors. I mean, really, if you take a look at it, 
you know, they could only be in in the film like six or seven minutes or eight minutes, and they make such an impression. It's like, wow. And there'll be a lot of those later that I'll talk about. Well, he's only in maybe eight or ten minutes of the film, but makes such an impression. That's how yeah. good he was. And right. since I don't know people, you guys have seen it, another woman and Mr. and Mrs. Edgehill will pass over. And ironically, in 1989-90, there were two gigantic-scale, big-budget Shakespeare films. Right. He was in both right. of them. And he was Kenneth in Brandon, both of them. Henry V and uh, Mel Gibson's Hamlet. Right, right. Right, and I saw this in the theater because um, I was still very much a um, Mel Gibson fan at the time, and and I thought Hamlet was fantastic. It, I thought it's my, I guess my secret favorite Hamlet of all of them. Oh, he was great in it, that. Yeah. Polonius, he was great. You know, I'm not a fan of the Polonius um, character in Hamlet. I mean, there's so many things he could have done better as a human being if to make everything better in that play, and Polonius just didn't do it. So um, Ian Holm did a really great job of bringing that out. Yeah. And Henry V has some of the great horse battle scenes in movie history in it. Oh, that's a Would you say, Carl? Yeah, I agree. Of, of the two, I much prefer Henry V and Brano's version of, of it. Uh, and, and, of course, a lot of that has to do with uh, Derek Jacoby and, of course, Kenneth Branagh. But, man, the, yeah. everybody in this is just, it's like great char- British character actor after character actor. And and though he doesn't have a large part in it as as Captain Flew Allen, uh, the small scene that he has, he just... Grabs gra- grabs it, and if I remember correctly, he's he's playing off of. Uh, he, I think he's playing off of um, uh, uh, Alec McCallan, uh another great actor. And they just, it's just a great scene. It's wonderful, wonderful cast, uh, and you know the fight scenes, everything in it. You know, once more onto the breach. You know, One, great. Yeah. And uh, as far as Polonius and Hamlet, between him and Paul Schofield as the ghost, I think they're yeah. they're the two best things in the whole whole film. I personally, I think Mel Gibson is a little miscast. I also think Separelli's uh, direction is lackluster, or maybe not lackluster isn't the right word. Um, too sort of, it just doesn't push. It's it's sort of just lays there, uh, so I'm not as big a fan as the Hamlet. Wow, uh, oh, hard to say for Hamlet. Hamlet. 
He's not as actory and over the top as uh, Lawrence Olivier is in his version. Oh, no, that's yeah. True. That's always true. the problem I've had with Hammond is every time an actor gets the role, they take it as a chance to go over the top and choose scenery yep. like, oh, that's right. Yorick. And I knew him I, well. <laughs> he made me laugh as a kid. <laughs> To be or not to be. I'm so sick of that crap. (laughs) When it comes to to be or not to be, you can't touch Jack Benny with saying that line, can you, Carl? (laughs) Uh, Actually, actually, you know, you know the Hamlet I like the most. What? By far, Branagh's Hamlet. uh, Branagh's Hamlet. I think Branagh's it's self-conscious. I I yeah. think, I think I love Kenneth Branagh. I love all his Shakespeare, but I have a problem with his Hamlet because for some reason he just seems self-conscious, and that bugs me about that. If you've ever seen the 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 show from um, uh, Iceland, I think can't remember uh, Wallander. Oh my yeah. gosh! There's not one tiny. There's no self. Um, consciousness in it at all. It's just so wonderfully done. But Branagh's Hamlet, I don't know. There's something he was like looking over his shoulder every single scene. I don't know. I yeah, it's it's funny. I uh, I can understand exactly what you're saying. I I don't think there's been uh, for me. I don't think there's been a definitive Hamlet. In fact, the one I, I'm going to just mention this. I think the best. Uh, uh, a speech I ever saw of the last poor Yorick I knew him well was done by the Muppets. <laughs> Alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. I've never seen you before in my life. Who are you? <laughs> anyway. We need to do that a show sometime, uh, a Shakespeare show. Yeah. Yes, I agree. We could do that. I agree. Okay, and now we're moving on. To one of Carl's favorite, and I like this too. And what's scary is not how bizarre this freaking movie is. It's that every freaking word is true. And it's based on a bizarre <laughs> historical case. Oh, absolutely. In the U.S., it was called The Advocate. And I'm giving Carl the cool title. And take a call. Okay. What was it? It's actually called The Hour of the Pig. And basically, Which we're living in right now. Med- <laughs> it's set during medieval times. And uh, uh, basically, it's about this pig that they say is, is, is uh, 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 possessed. And and and, uh, and uh, so you have two people going, uh, you know, the prosecution and 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 the uh, defense, and Ian Holm is the defense, and Donald Pleasance is the uh, is 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 the uh, prosecutor, and uh, uh, Nicole Williamson is the judge, and it's funny, it's weird, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous too. I mean, it's just well, well shot, and that sort of thing. Think about um, 
Monty Python and all the guck and that from medieval, and you get the idea because they certainly play with that here too. Um, but it, it, it's a fantastic little movie. It seriously is. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's that's, that's really. What, Are we talking about Naked Lunch? No, no, we're, we're talking about, about the thing. Advocate. Oh, the Advocate. Oh, yeah. God. And it has Wait. one of my favorite lines too. Uh, do you think this the pig is advocate. the by the devil? I don't know, but it's still an asshole either way. <laughs> Where is that? It's nineteen ninety-three. Ninety-three. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if you okay. they use the name, but in the real case, the prosecution was one Matthew Hopkins. Yeah. Does that name sound familiar, Carl? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and that would be the Witchfinder General. And the actual yeah. person. But but listen to this cast. You have Colin Firth, Ian Holm, Donald Pleasance, Nicole Williamson, Michael Gow. Uh, just, I mean, God, what a cast. So, can I just break in for, because we skipped yeah, right over. Ahead. We're doing The Advocate, but we skipped over Naked Lunch, and we skipped over Oh, we haven't got the Oh, God, we forgot, we too. My bad. Well, well I already okay. picked good. First, we're going okay, to do uh, uh, Kafka. With Ian Holm and uh, um, 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 what's his name? Obi-Wan Kenobi were in that, too. Um, yes. He just said his name, and it just flew out the window. They were a lot of... Um, Alec Guinness. Kafka. Yeah, Alec Guinness was in it, and um, Ian Homer was in it, and Jeremy, um, Irons. Jeremy Irons. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking. Ter- Teresa Russell, um, maybe one of her Arnold last Mullenstahl. things. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, yeah. I love Kafka. I thought I that agree. little film was overlooked by everyone as as Kafka always is. I just thought it was, yep, everyone looked overlooked it because they always overlook Kafka, who's the real guy. He's he's got it down. So so here's something for you you may not know, Vic. Do you know who wrote Kafka? What, this screenplay? This is did the screenplay. Okay, you know what other screenplay he did? No, not offhand. Uh, would you believe Dark City? Um, would I believe it? Yes, I would believe it. And, and he also did the liming. So, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm a I huge know you really like Lem Dobbs. Yeah. Love Lem Dobbs. And, and, and yeah, yeah I Soderberg, really like his company. Um, Steven Soderbergh also directed it, which I like his stuff. Mm-hmm. Agreed. My problem is they violated one tenet of a Kafka story, and that is they showed what was inside the castle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had to. No one, you know, if you don't read and study Kafka, no one gets it. They had to. 
Yeah. Well, my, fa- Don't my you favorite possible the movie average would person be the trial. Oh, yeah, I the, love the trial. Yeah, you're talking about the Wells, right? The Orson Wells one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have that. Exactly. I love it so yeah. much, I hunted it down and I have it. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a paper on the trial way back in college days. Ooh. And uh, Orson Welles understood Kafka very well. <laughs> and by the way, I, I just have to mention, we didn't mention another actor in here who does a fantastic job in Kafka, and that's Joel Gray. Oh, yeah. He's so good. You know, people just just shove him aside all the time. I know. But... Every th- I just saw him in something else the other day, something I was watching, and he's just a fantastic little. He he always finds that niche role, and it's like no one yeah. else could play this role. Yeah, no one. And then um, Ian Holm as um, Doctor Mon Mon Mornow. I don't know how you Murnau. say that. Mornow. Yeah, Mornow. There you go. Um. Anyway, he oh. he. Takes that little role and makes it real. I just, is that joke on purpose, Carl? Oh yeah, <laughs> without a doubt it is. Without a doubt, it's it's on purpose. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> uh, just so you know, Beck uh, Murnau is is uh, a surname of a director. Who did Nosferatu, and so there, there's ah, uh, okay. uh, there's some in jokes with that name yeah. that they ah, play okay. both in the script and and, and, and that sort of thing. That's on, what we're referencing. We're, we're going to talk about a book, a movie that was an adaptation of a book that they couldn't adapt the right. book, so they made a movie about the writing of the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And it led to one of the best Simpsons gags ever. It showed them sneaking in. We're going to go see an X-rated movie. And then them walking out afterwards. I can name you two things that was a lie about that title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, this is the... I don't know. I thought, Carl, I thought you loved this movie. Oh, Naked yeah. Lunch? Are you kidding? Of course I fucking yeah. love it. Yeah, it's a Cronenberg. No, I, I mean, the one the one thing about it is I, I'm very, very much a William Burroughs fan, right, number one. But there is no way in God's creation you could adapt Naked Lunch. But if anyone could figure out any way at all, it would be Cronenberg, and Cronenberg did, and right. what he did very basically was, uh, you explain it so well, Stephen, why don't you say it? The first half of the movie is the is uh, basically Burroughs' story, and the second half of the movie is the first half of the movie on drugs. <laughs> Yeah. On insecticide. <laughs> yeah, on, on bug top. Yeah. Yeah. 
And of course, then you have all sorts of of orifices and uh, all sorts of sexual yuckiness. And but that's what the you book have is Julian about. Sands, you yeah. know, getting. I read the book. I that's yeah. the orifices. It's like um, it's not even a a a, a cover up of the symbolism in that movie. It's I mean no, it's the talking book. asshole. That's, the whole thing is there. Everything. Of yeah. You know, and, and of yeah. course, if anyone is going to do that, it would have to be Cronenberg. But one of the great things that he did was <clears throat> working out the, the, the script. He knew Burroughs, and Burroughs, uh, he basically got Burroughs okay to do it the way that he wanted to do it. And Burroughs not only gave him a blessing, but said, you know, that's probably the only way you can do it. And, and, can I really get into your story, you know, and, and what happened to you? And, and you got the okay. And it, and it worked out well. It's, it's, it is, I think, the best film adaptation of an unfilmable novel I've ever seen. Seriously. Yeah, but it's still not the best Burl-esque movie ever. Okay. And what would you be your, your position on that? Drugstore Cowboy. I, I'll, t- I'll, I'll take Naked Lunch over Drugstore, but Drugstore is pretty good. Drugstore is pretty and we, good. And In I, Home is great in it. But we know who steals that thanks. movie. We know who steals that movie. Naked Lunch, who steals it? Bedelia was a fag, and he's very grumpy because she's under rag. <laughs> Dr. Benway! <laughs> yeah, Roy Schreider just tears it up in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Roy Schreider. What a, what a shame he died so young. He's uh, I know. another I know. great actor. Great actor. You'll love this, Vicky. That scene where he puts on the mask and says all that, that wasn't in the script. Oh. He just went to David oh, and said, I want to try something. And then he just went off. <laughs> and Carver said, that works. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the... Uh, Cronenberg's most confused movies by his fans. I mean, I've met many fans who's like, I like it, but I just don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> well, nobody does. Nope. <laughs> Even the ending is really screwed up. But it's not oh, screwed yeah. up. Actually, I think the ending, if you watch it and you just try to apply a little bit of your your street sense to the ending, then it kind of comes together, I think. I don't know. I like the film. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, I look at it from a writer's perspective. If he didn't kill his wife and didn't go through all of that, he wouldn't have been able to write that book. And he wasn't able to start writing until after that. Right. And that's sort of the, the whole point of it, I think. That's the way I always took it. Well, um, killing does 
make you a certain type of crazy. And so, not depending on period. Yeah, that's what. It, and so, yeah. But your victim, if it's somebody who's attacking you and you kill them, you still freak out about it. But it was justified. If it's your wife, that's something different. Yeah. And here's a movie that I don't know what you think, Vicky, but I think this movie is an utter piece of crap with five minutes of great in-home acting. And that will be Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That was a really horrid film. There's a Kenneth Branagh oh, film that just really terrible. Yeah, he's like, yeah. we need more scenes of me oiling up my chest and showing my muscles. Shirtless. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> and Robert no, we don't. It's oh. actually the first adaption of the Frankenstein story to actually have the last line of the book. Yeah. Why are you crying? <laughs> he was my father. <clears throat> yeah. The thing is, is that even if you use pieces of a book, when you render the rest of the story so horribly, it's, it's yes. like cheating. It's like cheating. But I have <laughs> the best line of the book uh, in the film. <laughs> no, that movie was just horrid. Oh, I, it's the worst Frankenstein adaptation I've ever seen. Yeah, and there's I mean, some pretty bad ones. Really, really not good at all. Yeah. Which is I guess there's just Franco films you need to see, Carl. <laughs> oh, I've seen the Franco films. Uh, this one's worse. <laughs> Without. I went. Uh, this is another one I went to the theater thinking it would be great, and I stayed in line for it for an hour. And I came out of that, and I was so. Fucking pissed. It's not even funny. Yeah, well, we're in a good period right now, so let's move on. Next is a great movie, which I'm surprised didn't win an Oscar or get nominated for Best Picture, and that's The Madness of King George. Oh, this is... I would probably rate this as his best performance. Uh, he's just so good in this. And, and and this is one of two or three that I would say. Um, I love this movie. I love this film. And uh, basically, it's uh, King George, who is uh, Nigel Hawthorne, goes mad. Um, he uh, the government tries to adjust the rules of the country to to uh, adapt to this madman on the throne, but. You have the main physician played by by uh, uh, Ian Holm come in, and he has to diagnose whether or not the king is fit to be on the throne or not. And of course, there's all this political pressure on him to 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 you know keep him on the throne, and he finally says no, and it's all about the the politics and so on and so forth. And it is fantastic. And, of course, this is another one where, where Helen Mirren 
is in the in in the um, cast: Rupert Graves, Amanda Donahoe, um, and and uh, Ian Holm doesn't have a large part in it, but he is the audience eyes. And uh, I've watched two scenes from this today, and just my mouth was on the floor about how good he is. And again, you know, you've got him working on, you know, the Shakespearean side of of, of the uh, 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 of his acting, and it's just so good. That's just an amazing, amazing role. So go ahead, Steve. What do you think? I already said it. I love it. What did you Vic, think? Have you ever seen this? Oh yeah, I saw it a long time ago. But I can't even remember. I can't remember it. I saw it because at the time, you know, back in those days, I had one child, and it was hard to get to movies. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I had Dylan too. Then by '94, it was hard to get to movies with two ch- children. So you're waiting for them. Or somebody has to come and babysit. And I was not really, I don't know, I didn't, I just didn't like it at the time. But it's probably because I was just a young mom freaked out by my circumstances. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't have an opinion. And next is my favorite in-home line. This movie has my favorite in home line of anything he's ever said in a movie. And that is take a big bite out of the ass of life. Oh. <laughs> this is one of Probably the best one movies of the about best family. One of the best movies, movies ever. Seriously. Big Night is yep. wonderful. Yeah. If you don't want, if it you don't is. leave big night going to go to an Italian restaurant, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, right. Really. Or cook or something. It reminded me of my family and our huge get-togethers, our huge Italian get-togethers when I was a kid. It just it, all the longing for it in the film was just like what I was feeling, wanting to go back and be a kid again. And then the food, of course. Um, I just thought everyone had a life like that. Mm-hmm. That movie is fantastic. And what's about, about everyone? Should, yeah, everyone should see it. You're right, yeah. bingo. Every, yeah. And what it's about is about two brothers whose uh, restaurant is going down because they have an authentic next one next to an Olive Garden type piece of shit or Italian restaurant. Right. And is it, yeah, Louis Prima is supposed to come over there, so they're preparing this big dinner and everything for him. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful film. It's just just a lovely film. And just the way Ian Holmes says that line, right, Carl? He just really puts his oomph into it. Absolutely. It's one of the big laughs of the whole film, too. And it's one of the most true lines, too. Mm -hmm. It is. That's 
probably why he says it the way he says it and made such an impression is because it's one of the true, you know, the truths of our lives. Mm-hmm. So everyone One. go find um, Big Night if you have not. And if you lo- if you are a fan of the show Monk, then you're going to like this movie too. Now, yeah, Tony Shalhoub is just, I love Tony Shalhoub. Yes. And next is an okay uh, Sidney Lumet movie. It's too much like his earlier stuff, and that's Night Falls on Manhattan. Eh. Moving on. Okay. And next is one of Carl's favorites. I didn't like it that much. But oh, my God. Carl loves him a, to tweet you... there a year after. Oh. What? No, you're missing the fifth element. That comes after this, right after it. Okay, well, well, the sweet here. Okay, so I'll talk about the sweet hereafter. Um, I'm a big Adam Agoyan fan. Um, he's a Canadian director, very artsy director, and this is a film where Ian Holm plays this lawyer, goes to this small town where there was a bus that uh, with a bunch of kids from school that uh, uh, basically has an accident and all the kids drown. And there's one uh, uh, person who survived, and that's Sarah Polly. And so he's trying to sue the bus company and make money for all, all that and, of course, make money for himself. And it's all about what the right thing to do is. And it's very complicated. <laughs> and uh, in home... Is just absolutely stellar in this movie. I think this, you could easily say this is his best role. In a heartbeat, you could say this is his best role. I also think it's uh, Adam McGoin's best movie with one possible exception, which which we'll talk about later at a later one. But uh, yeah, this is a great film, and, and I recommend it highly. It's not his best film because it doesn't have uh, an Icadarius joint playing nothing but Leonard Cohen songs. <laughs> well, well, you know, I was going to mention Exotica, but if you want to, that's okay. Leonard Cohen songs. <laughs> I know, spit right, good. I know. <laughs> And moving on to a film that didn't do that good in the theater, but good God, has it become one of the biggest cult films ever. And mm-hmm. that's the fifth that's element. <laughs> that's because no one knew what they were seeing when they were in the theater. They had to see it and go home and think about it and wait for it to come on cable so they could see it again. <laughs> Basically, the whole thing. Go ahead, Carl. So, this movie is this movie used to be my Thanksgiving movie. I used to watch it every single Thanksgiving. But then my mom moved in with me, and she doesn't like it. So I sort of haven't watched it that much on Thanksgiving. 
but I watch it at least twice a year. I love this movie. I love this movie. Multipass. Multipass. <laughs> but Ian Holm is so great in this. He, he's, you know, he's trying to be so serious in a really comedic way. It's just, this is a over-the-top, funny science fiction movie. <laughs> well, you know what? When I saw it, I think this is really the first Luc Besson movie that I really noticed who Luc Besson was, the director. And <clears throat> you watch this movie, and if you don't know what you're stepping into, at the end of this movie, you're like, what the fuck was that? And can I see it again, please? Yeah, can I, I please mean, see it again? Can I please see it again? And that's, I mean, the visual, everything about it is just, so unique. And of course, uh, it, it also uh, uh, sort of like uh, cemented my love of Mila Jojovic, too. So there you go. Oh, well, you don't love her as much as I love her, so sorry. I have yeah. almost all her films. So there, ha. Huh. I love her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm a big fan, too. Okay. Well, we'll yeah, but do you have I all had, the Resident uh, Evil? <laughs> Yeah. Right before I seen The Fifth Element, I had gotten a copy of the Incal. It was an earlier heavy metal printing of the comic. You remember who wrote that book, Carl? No, tell me. Uh, you ever have you guys ever heard of Mobius? Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. What about uh, some little Mexican director called Alejandro Jodorowsky? Mm-hmm. Yes. So every time you watch the thing element, say out loud, thank you, Mobius and Alejandro Jodorowsky. Because. Yes. Basan blatantly ahead. stole imagery and everything from those books. <laughs> well, maybe he didn't steal it. Maybe he used it. No, he stole it because. Uh, Mobius sold his ass, sued his ass and got a nice little payment out of it. And Joe oh, Dorsky yeah, like, I remember. Yeah, and Joe Dorsky was like, eh, I've stolen from people, too. <laughs> right. We all have. Yeah, and, you know, um, Luke Besson also wrote the um, screenplay for Leon the Professional. Yeah, he directed that, too. That's a great film. I that's one yeah. of my all time favorite movies. And that was before the fifth element. Mm-hmm. And La Fim Nakita also. I mean yeah. Juan. Well, I knew I, it just surprises me that you just didn't really knew, know Luke Basson before Fifth Element. Well, well let me put it this way. I I had seen uh, uh I think I seen La Femme Nikita, but it didn't connect that it was a Luc Besson film. And when I saw saw this um, and and, and uh, Fifth Element, I mean that then became the signature Luc Besson with the color scheme and everything. And 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 so really, really, this film movie is is the one that 
made me notice and like everything and then go back and see everything of Luke Besson that I had not seen to that point. Have you seen Subway, uh, Vicky? Yes, I have. Oh, it's so damn good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I saw it with a friend, actually. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, back to Ian Holm in Fifth Element. Nobody could have played his part the way he played it. It was no. just so good. The way he says um, Corbin Dallas, the way he says Dallas all the time, the way he's running, 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 trying to make certain that the fifth element isn't murdered, kidnapped, all this stuff. All the, it's just it's a very kinetic movie. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I love Ian Holm in it. His name's Cornelius, by the way. I love this movie. And Gary Oldman, no one said anything about Gary Oldman, is the funniest stupidest bad guy who's smart <laughs> ever. <laughs> Are, did we love Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. He's like always five steps behind everything. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and when he dies. Oh, and, yes. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a... Just a funny movie. I love it. I'm gonna go watch and it tonight. Tiny Lister nice is president. Oh yeah, he's so great. And Chris Tucker. Oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> we could do a whole show. We should do a watch of this. You know. Okay. That's the we. We yeah, should we do can a do watch that. of this. Yeah, I like that idea. We could have so much fun. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I could go on and on, but we could move. We need to move on, yeah. We've got uh, Life Less Ordinary. Eh, that movie should be taken out and shot. <laughs> That's the stupid one, Carl, if you don't remember, where the devil and angel take a bet that a couple can get together. Yeah. They're going to get together. Incognito. I'll take Made in Heaven any day over that. What? I'll take Made in Heaven any day over that movie. Yeah. Alice to the Looking Glass, Animal Farms. And then a movie that Carl don't know how to pronounce. Let's hear your stupid pronunciation of the title, Carl. (laughs) Okay, so I usually say existence, but you say existence. I don't right. care. I say tomato, you say tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Okay? Yeah, except that your version does ruin a plot element of it. Because the other yeah. company in the movie is Transcends. Transcends existence, or goes beyond existence, or transcendental existentialism. Exactly. <laughs> Which means if this goes very good in the movie, if everything is real, then nothing is real. And if nothing is real, then everything is real. Yeah. Okay, I need I need marijuana to process that. Excuse me, I have to go. <laughs> That's basically 
Cronenberg saying there is no answer to what is real and what isn't. Mm-hmm. A lot of people right. call this a video drone ripoff. I'm like, no. No, it's not. It's a you could know. you could argue it's a companion piece, but it's not a ripoff. Yeah. No, I don't think it's a ripoff, but yeah. I I don't know. I don't like this movie. I never have. Why? I, I love it. Yeah, I know. We've argued over it before. Well, we have um, many, many times. Oh, shit, yeah. I got popcorn. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the premise of it. I don't like the story. I don't like the... I don't, I don't like the... I think this movie tries too hard to tell a story that has been told before, um, jump into a video game parallel world, get lost inside the other world, um, open the dimensional door. I need the the rights to that. I want to know how to do that so I can steal your idea and make money on it. It's the same old stuff. And the the body horror of this film is it just I don't know, it just doesn't gel for me. It just never comes together. I never accept Jude Law in this uh role. It's the wrong role for him. He's a great actor. I love him. But this role, no. Talented Mr. Rip Ripley, I loved him in that movie and that's like right around the same time. Same couple of years. This he's miscast in this movie. <coughs> And so, I don't know, there's lots of things wrong with this film. I don't like the way they switch from reality to um, the video world or the parallel world or whatever the hell they call it. I don't like that the creator of this gets caught in her own thing, not understanding what's going on. Because she's supposed to be so smart, and yet she's not. She's dumb. She allows her sexual pleasure to take over everything and I don't know she just I don't like it there you go sorry don't like it yeah but you have Ian to Holm again answer really one good. question which you answered in the movie doesn't is she really the game's creator right mm-hmm. right right it's the lack of answers that make this movie confusing it's what I like about it the lack of answers but it's confusing as hell. There's no way around it. And it's purposely confusing. Right. Yeah. It's and I true. think part you of that, that. Is, is very frustrating for for a bunch of people. Now, to be honest, this is not my favorite Cronenberg by any Are you saying they're stupid, Carl? No. <laughs> you said some no, people. But, but I will say this. Um <laughs> I find it fascinating. That's what he's alluding to. Uh, and, and the reason I find it fascinating is because you have Cronenberg's very, very scientific eye that just is so detached. And then you get the scenes like in the Chinese restaurant and the, and, and the teeth gun. And just, you know, just oddness all around that you, you know, you can't figure it out. And, and that's so frustrating for a lot of people. And, and it's frustrating for me in this film. But I like it. I like it. I, it's, again, 
Is it his best well, film? Not by a long shot, but I do like the film. There's this theory that um, when you're being lied to by somebody, that uh, it's it's not really a theory. They, they they say in psychology that it's true. Okay, the more confused you get when somebody's telling you something and you start getting confused and it's not gelling with what you already know, then that's a clue that that person is lying to you. Well, that's what I think about this movie. This movie is one big giant lie. And because it's one big giant lie and there's no real answers ever, I just feel like it's a waste of time. That's what I think about this movie. Although, I, I took one of the pictures. Ian Holm looks so good in this film. I mean, he just looks good. He's just dressed well. He's just at the, the height of his of his personal health and everything. Um, I took uh, one of the pictures from this film and put it on my Facebook page because it just looks great. So the film has some good look to it, but it's just, I don't know. It's a lie. Well, I tell you what, what, the one thing, uh, as far as Ian Holm is concerned, is near the end of the film, he has a scene where everything is up in the air and, and people are fighting within the game, and he has a scene with Jude Law, and it's and it's the best scene in the film, by far, this conversation that they have. And, and um, again, you've got someone, you've got Ian Holm, who, who in a movie that is slightly problematic, gives a great performance, and and that's the whole point here. That's why right. we're doing this podcast, right? You know, yeah, it doesn't exactly. matter oh, how good right. the film is, how uh, good he's in it. You know? Yeah, he's good, but Vicky's right because what's the last words of the movie, Carl? Um, uh, it's been a while. Tell me. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. Exactly is this real? Is this a game? Is this real? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. That shows the level that they care about giving you the answers. Right. What about all these questions I got? Well, who cares what you care about your questions? That's in a way, it's going to fuck you to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I just, I don't know. I think that's the world we're living in right now. This stupid movie came true. And that's the whole point. It's well, almost, you what? know, it, I mean, that's the one thing. Wait no. a second, wait a second. It's not wait a, a second. warning movie. It's not no, a warning. no, no, but that's the one thing about Cronenberger. It's like there's so much prescience where he doesn't explain it. And, and you can take a look at Videodrome, too. It doesn't explain it to you, but it just feels like, oh, my God, we're living it. We're in a goddamn Cronenberg movie. We're in a goddamn yeah. Philip K. Dick now. And, 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 I mean, that's how it feels. Ah, okay. Cronenberg. Before we move on, I want to say this as a final statement. Don't say anything about it, Carl. This is a man who has said that he's read Gravity Rainbow and understands it. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Putting that out there. I'm laughing. <laughs> but we love him. We love you, Carl. Uh, but he's the man who also said that he couldn't uh, get through a couple of Phil K. 
Dick novels because he couldn't understand them. Okay? Well, at least he's honest about it. Okay, let's move on. Simon Magus, which I don't know. Wisconsin Death Trip. What the hell? He's the narrator. Oh, the match. Uh, Joe Gould Secret. The Miracle Worker. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Very quickly. Joe Gould's Secret, another film that not many people know, and he's wonderful in it, and it was written, well, it was actually directed by Stanley Tucci from Big Night, and he wanted Ian Holm specifically for this movie. I had a chance to see it, and it's really wonderful, and it's basically about the New Yorker staff writer, Joe Mitchell. He meets this gentleman who's played by Ian home called Joe Gould, Greenwich Village character who catches meals, drinks, and contributions to his fund and who is writing uh, a book about all the people he meets in Greenwich Village. And it is a wonderful, wonderful movie. And you need to see it. It's not easy to see, but Ian Home is just wonderful in it. And, and, and again... This would be one of the films where I would say he gives one of his best performances. Is it a secret that he poops okay. his pants? Say that again? <laughs> Is it a secret that he poops his pants? No. Are you sure it's not about him pooping his pants? I'm positive. <laughs> okay, but it could be about pooping his pants. <laughs> Whatever. If you need some x Please take it now. <laughs> but next is the Miracle Warp Maker, where he plays Pontus Pilate. Is this another Jesus movie? <laughs> no idea. No idea. Though. I have no idea what this. Why movie would it be? Is. Why would he play Pontus Pilate in a movie that's not about Jesus? Money, money. He's probably. No, I'm just saying, why would there be a character called Pontus Pilate in a movie that's... That's not about... It's called the story of Jesus Christ. So there you go. Yeah? Okay. Looks like a... It's a cartoon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next is Esther Khan, then Beautiful Joe. God, I love his character in that movie. George the Geek. Oh, God bless the child. That movie was horrid. That's that horror film with Kim Bassinger in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that. Oh, oh, that. I haven't thought about that movie since I saw it and dismissed it. Huh. And next is From Hell, where he plays one of the best damn Jack the Rippers in movie history. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then we got the the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, and the Return of the Ring. People forget that Bilbo wasn't in the second one. Not even in the extended cut. 
<coughs> he wasn't in the extended no. cut? He wasn't in the two mm. towers. Well, I don't see why he would be, because I don't think it, even in the books, I don't think, Frodo might have mentioned him when they were talking about, you know, longing for the Shire, he and Sam. Yeah. I've read those books lots of times. Um, but it doesn't matter. There's no one, no, when, you know, I, all of us have seen movies made out of books that we love that were just crappy. And I was so afraid, so, so, so afraid that Lord of the Rings was going to fall on its face. And then I went to the movie theater with my son, and it started. And then it went to the Shire, and it went to Bilbo's birthday. And there's Ian Holm as Bilbo, and he was not Ian Holm anymore. He was Bilbo. And that was perfect, absolutely perfect. No, he wasn't the star of the show because Bilbo is not the star of um, Lord of the Rings. He's the one who found the ring, brought it back out. But you have to know the the history of it and all. But that whole sequence of his before his birthday party, when Gandalf comes to see him, it was perfect. I saw the book I loved so much come to life thanks to those two actors who knew how much the audience watching loved those books and those characters and did their best, their very best, to make that movie real. I loved it. And what surprised me is how good it was after how many movies that we have seen taking the ideas. Yes. Of the yes. book that's coming out since then. Like, what was yes. that move, book that you probably <laughs> finally made into a movie, but because it, all the ideas have been done for you, it's kind of disappointed in it? What What are you talking about now? I forget. It came out in the 2000... Oh, the Happy Time Murders. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, by the time it came out, all the great best ideas of the script had been done so many times that it just seemed like it was ripping them off, even though it was there first. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, real shame about that. But, but Vicky, now that we're on 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 this, I, I wanted to. Yeah. Um, you actually wrote something on your Facebook page. About Ian Holm. Oh, yeah. And I wondered if you had that in front of you. If not, I do. And I think it should be be said. Oh. Um, yeah, because it, I think, to be honest, I think it is is one of the the best things you ever wrote. Seriously, <laughs> I think I was I was really touched by what you okay. said. Okay, I'll read it. Um, let's see. It's right here. Boy, I posted a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I had to go through a bunch of stuff to get it in front of me too. But but I'll let you read this. Okay. 
Well, one thing is, is that, good grief, um, I've written a lot of stuff that's much better. This just is from my heart. Well, that's the whole point. Yeah. From your heart, you can tell. Okay. Hobbits and androids stand together in homage and salute their comrade for his fine work. A true actor's actor. Ian Holm was a virtuoso of nuanced compassion and clever understanding of the deepest emotions that bring life to any character. I am saddened and full of tears. Ian, you have earned your passage through the Grey Havens on the way to Tol Eretzia across the sea. Rest in peace, dear man. I said that really terribly. Rest in peace, dear man. <laughs> you did just fine, my dear. Yeah. You know, I, I read that yesterday, and, and, and I said, I, I even said to Stephen today as we were getting ready for this, that that had to be read by you. Because, um, seriously, I read that yesterday, and, and it brought a tear to my eye. I, I think it's just a wonderful tribute. And it's very heartfelt. So, very good. Thank you. I am a good writer. <laughs> yes, I know that. You're a very yeah. good writer. And from here on, he did a couple okay ones. The biggest ones that people will know would be uh, The Day After Tomorrow, which is decent. Oh, the wait, can I say with... something about that character? Oh, yeah, yeah. Vicky has ahead. to say something. Okay, because I love that movie, and we show it to our science kids in our in our academy, in Green Academy, because, you know, we're all about global warming and everything. And so every year we show that uh, to them. And the thing is, is that he, he plays this, the total opposite of the ash scientist and alien, the un um the the aloof, uncaring, uncompassionate, well, however you want to say it, Ash in Alien is that stereotypical detached scientist. In Day After Tomorrow, he is the scientist who figures out how the whole world is going to be destroyed by the global warming. He figures it out. And then um, Dennis Quaid's character puts it all together. But he figures it out, and he is stunned and humbled by what is happening. And in the very end, he offers to his two colleagues the best scotch, you know, that, that he has as they are going to freeze to death in their little scientific building that is going to you know, freeze over. It's a great, great role. It's a great piece of acting. I love that. I love that. My favorite part of the whole film. And the tornadoes tearing up Los Angeles. Fuck, that's great. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Day after tomorrow. Watch it. It's good for the... the the scary shit we're going through right now. <laughs> yeah. And after that, he did Garden State, which was just another manic pixie uh, boy-man 
movie where the boy man gets to be a man because of the magic pixie girl who gives him the energy to move on through his life. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> How many indie films did we see like that during uh, the whole early 2000s? Like one a week? Yeah. Chromophobia, uh, Lord of War, which is actually, I like that one. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Uh, no. The Treatment, Ratapoopy. No, 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 no. Okay, <laughs> one thing is you forgot about The Aviator. He no, I said The Aviator, I said it was okay. You know, it's okay, It's but he has a good role in it. Uh, yeah. the, another one I want to just mention very, very briefly is a film called Renaissance, which is a uh, French film done originally in the French language, but they dubbed it, and it's uh, uh, beautifully uh, uh, animated in black and white. There's no color to it at all. Uh, and it's a, a film noir type of thing, and he and he has a major role in it, and he's very good in it, you know. So, and, and, of course, then Ratatouille, which I love. Now, another, another food movie, of course. Right, you love it. I love it. I love Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Whatever. <laughs> and then his last two movies uh, theatrically were The Hobbit and The Hobbit, The Battle of uh, the Five Armies. Yeah, which should have never, ever been made into a separate movie. There should have only been two movies, not three. I forgot oh, well. he was in the, bow, in, the, in the original TV movie adaption of The Borrowers that was shown on the, uh, whatever, the Masterpiece Theater for Kids they did. It was a pretty good adaption of it. Oh, yeah. In theater, he was in uh, Trollus and this is from 1960. Trollus and Crescenda, Measure for Measure, The Tempest, The Homecoming, Romeo and Juliet, and King Lear. Mm-hmm. And he won a Tony for King Lear. Yeah. When he came over here in the states. Yeah, that's that's good. So. He was more colorful than any of the reporters. Just seemed like they just barely dug. They're like, what movie was in? He was in The Lord of the Rings. Okay, we got an article. Let's not even bother bothering. Right, right. The 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 writers were um, horrible. There were a couple of British writers who did a really good job, but other than that, yeah. no one else. No one else. But, hey, if it was one of those YouTube pop stars, oh, you know there would have been pages on them. That's stuff that's easier to look up to and stuff, you know. Right. But if you're going to be a writer of culture and things like that, you have to do your research. Because not only do you make yourself look bad, you make us look bad. Like if Carl just wrote a half-butt article, or just me, I wrote a half-butt article like, oh, Ian Holmes was an alien, that's all he did, that's all he should be remembered for. 
it's going to make you and Chloe work with me look like you're the same kind of lazy asshole that I am. Just because people know we work together and they're not going to bother to look at your stuff before they judge. Yep. No, you got you got to dig. And the funny thing is, if you dig and you do your work, you're going to find stuff that this actor or that director did that going to surprise you. You always dig to find the gold, the hidden gold, in, in anybody's career. And certainly, you know, we I tried to bring that out, you know, with a couple of the un, underseen films yeah. that he's done. You know, and, and, we and those are wonderful boom. things. We didn't dig with a shovel, did we, Carl and Vicky? No, we didn't. We didn't. Well, I don't think... I know I'm going to get some probably angry people right now, but I don't think the young people care. I hear too often um, the past is in the past. Let's just move forward. You know, thanks to their fast-paced technology, nobody wants to dig into the past and look for the gold. Everybody wants to find their gold in front of them. I think we live in a really weird time. Yeah. Carl, if you got a dollar for every time on I on uh, in straight ISF, anytime someone asks, can you give me twenty weird films just to watch? Because I don't want to look, and I just want to see what's weird to watch. Oh good God! Yeah, How rich yeah, would you yeah. be? Well, you know what? I I I stopped replying to those because every reply is it. Use the search engine. Look at the. Look at the post. You'll find something in two minutes if you just watch, if you look. You know, that's the whole point. People don't want to look, and I happen to agree with you. Right. They <laughs> you don't. Know, that's hey, one thing. I teach teenagers, and I've been teaching them for 15 years. So that's not a, that's not a trend. That's an entire generation. And I know oh, I, I, who wants I to look shit up and I've seen mothers our age do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the whole thing is, you know, I I teach kids too and and you try to teach them, you know, music appreciation and and they're all, you know, Latin kids. So, you know, I talk about people like Tito Puente and Celia Cruz and they look at me like, "What? Huh?" And I said, "You know, you know, this goes back but you have to understand that it's all connected. And and, and that's the one thing that I love. It's looking at someone like Ian Home and finding the the performances in that that you don't know. And you're surprised. And you're just confirmed about how good of an actor he was if you just do the work and just watch the films that he's done. Seriously. Right, right, if you really want to. And Vicky put it better than I could, but just thank you, Ian Holm, for all your great performances throughout the years. Absolutely. It's it's, it's a great loss, but we do have the performances. Really, how many evil robots since uh, well, the big two would be the Terminator and uh, 
ads Man. from Alien have you seen just take, like, in-home performance and just make that their own when the robot's supposed to be evil or just uh, an emotionless scientist? Oh, right. Without a doubt. So many. And tomorrow night, me and Carl for Father's Day are going to be doing Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. And next, uh, and next week is go going to be our LGBT movie show with Kevin Nicholson. And he's already talking about he wants to talk about the hidden metaphors and Universal and the old-time horror films and stuff. So, hey, it's going to be fun. Oh, absolutely. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. And this next song is another example of Dig Deep. Because this song is a R.I.P. for someone who was a Baltimore actor and only had one great moment in film. But by God, that film moment. <laughs> right. Do you want to explain the- this before? You should explain this. Vicki, uh, you might want to... Just shake your head when you hear this, okay? Yeah. But go ahead, Stephen. Okay. You do this one. In Pink Flamingo, there is a scene where they're having a party. Then all of a sudden, this guy pulls his pants and bends down. And then all of a sudden, Papa Uma Mau Mau, Papa Uma Mau comes. And the guy moves his <laughs> butt to make it sing that song. <laughs> well, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and for many years we didn't know who it was, but then his parents died, and it came out that it. Let me. I'm gonna find his name real quick. Uh, his name was Michael Gould, I think. David E. Gluck. Oh, David Gluck. Okay, that's it. David Gluck. Yeah. And he said that after his parents died, he would go to movies the others. Whenever that scene started, he would tap people on the shoulders and go, that's me up there. <laughs> and it would freak people out in the audience. And John Waters <laughs> said that was one of the most beautiful moments of cultural terrorism he's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John Waters. <laughs> yeah. So rest in peace in home and definitely rest in peace, David. Thank you both of you for all of your moments. And everybody Absolutely. else stay safe, please. Especially down in Florida. Good God, you're setting records you shouldn't. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and, and, and second. Thanks for letting me on, and, and and really nice to have you here, Vicky. Well, yeah, you can't do Ian Holm without me. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. There's no way we do it without you. That's right. <laughs> and with that, good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.
Papa, mama, papa, mama, papa, mama, 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 mama,